we've been going through a series on five shifts uh, that are important in terms of seeing the church experiencing renewal and revival. And today we're going to talk about the fifth and final one. And I think I can go a little bit shorter on this one because I've been teaching on this shift for, well, since I came to Pilgrim, one of my earliest sermons was about this idea of moving from being more bounded to being centered in on Jesus and how we become community. And so this morning, I want to share a little bit. I'm going to review the five shifts, but I want to read to you from Acts. Uh, First, I'm going to read a little bit from the book of Acts, chapter 11. And you can just stay seated today um, as we do this, because it's going to be a little bit uh, longer passage. But I want you to hear this. Acts chapter 11. Acts is written by Luke uh, in the New Testament. And so Luke and Acts were meant to be bookended or read together. And um, the first, of course, Luke is about the life of Jesus Uh, his teachings, death, resurrection, uh, and then we have the launch of the church, the book of Acts. And last Sunday was Pentecost, where we celebrate the launch of the church. Jesus had followers up to that point, but the church got launched by the sending of the Spirit. In the church calendar, which some of you have uh, and follow along with, and the, the scripture inserts we provide are following the church calendar, this is Trinity Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost, and this long season that we're in between now and the end of November, which is Christ the King Sunday, and then we enter into the season before Christmas called Advent, this whole season is usually called ordinary time. Would you say that with me? Ordinary time. And in many places, this is a time where Physically, outside, it's, it's certainly in, certain, in our hemisphere, we have warmth, we have summer, we have spring. And a lot of the readings that are in the passages in the Gospels are about mission and growth and nurture and, and sort of that letting the fruit develop. And so while I finish the series this Sunday, we're going to be spend two messages on the passages from Matthew that relate to this season of growth and turning outward and being on mission with God, which I, as I was wrestling with what to share in the next few weeks while I'm here, I want to spend at least two Sundays on this idea of the mission of God. But today we finish up the fifth shift and the fifth shift, and it is a new approach to disagreement. The church, uh, to use the little summary statement here, the church is defined by our shared center, not by the lines we draw. This idea of focusing on being centered in on Jesus. Johnny Morrison, who I'm borrowing liberally from his stuff here, and also Mark Baker, Center Set Church, which a bunch of us went through this last year when it came out, and home church leaders as well. And I was delighted to see that this was recommended by the North American Baptist uh, International Office as well in our latest publication as one of the recommended books. And there was another one as well, Rick, Rick Villodas's book on the deeply formed life, both of which we've used at Pilgrim. So we are on the cutting edge of the NAB, folks. I'm just letting you know there. Like we, were like, we were like a year ahead of the International Office. Uh, so yeah, woo, yay, yay, Pilgrim. Um, so, so anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, know. I don't know what that gets us other than trouble maybe. Um, So we want to talk about this shift. Now, what's the contrast between being centered on Jesus uh, versus drawing lines? Well, when we focus too much on the bounds, as it were, we have endless fracturing in churches and denominations where everyone has to agree on almost everything to worship and do mission together. In churches that focus on the bound, the boundary more than, or the bounds more than they focus on the center, there tends to be a spirit of judgmentalism. There tends to be, um, uh, sometimes there can also be fuzziness on the other extreme. A community may stick together due to history or relationship, but without any common mission or purpose in the center as well. That's why in revitalization, one of the first things we did here at Pilgrim, one of many, many, many things, is focus on getting a group together to discern a vision and mission statement that was built on what went before, but got a little more clarity for this season as well. In the secular setting, 
We have the thing if a church is, or if an organization is not focused on a clear center, um, oftentimes the, the secular contrast is there's other purity tests. Failure to subscribe to one, any one piece of secular orthodoxy can result in exclusion or splintering. Just find yourself in a secular context and you disagree with some hot issue or where everyone's at right now and you will see how fast that that bounded set mindset is just as much in the secular context as it can be in the church. And yet as followers of Jesus, we're called to a different way of relating. We're not called to be like the world in how we define ourselves by the boundaries and borders and bombs and ballots, but by a center in Jesus. So this Sunday, I just want to share a little bit and say this. That we are called to be centered in on Christ because the center is the anchor that holds in all of the storms of life. The center is the pillar that we build the faith of the apostles and prophets to use the language of the New Testament. And that center is Jesus only. He is our center. And if you center in on Jesus, by the way, you will get the Father and the Spirit thrown in for free. (laughs) Because again, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit redirects us back to the Son, and the Son is the fullness of God that we will know this side of eternity, this side of the life to come, the world to come. So when we focus in on Jesus, we get the whole kit and caboodle. By the way, last Sunday, I preached on the Holy Spirit and particularly talked a little bit about speaking in tongues, and I got quite a bit of feedback on that message. I encourage you, if you were not here, to listen to that message. Uh, ignore the parts that bother you, but listen to the rest. Any, any silly illustrations, just throw that out. But the rest of it, um, and in fact, I was really touched because someone came up to me afterwards and said, I'd never heard a sermon really focused on the spirit like that before. And uh, so I'm glad that uh, that was stuff like that was happening in this room and there was something powerful God was doing. So I encourage you to listen to that. All right, so let's look at Acts chapter 11. A couple things going on here. So Acts chapter 11, in Acts, the church is expanding And Peter uh, has now expanded and been evangelizing among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks that are responding to this message of God entering into into creation in Jesus, having been persecuted, killed, and risen from the dead. And we're told in Acts chapter 11 that Peter is now going back to Jerusalem to report what God is doing. And and, and they accused him, and they said in verse uh, chapter 3, they accused him saying, you went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them, people that would have been ritually unclean for for the typical Jewish person. And it tells us in verse 4 that step by step, Peter explained what happened. And he said, I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. So how is the church being expanded? People are experiencing the vision, the work of the Holy Spirit, the holy imagination, And he says, in my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. And it came all the way down to me. And as I stared at it, this big linen sheet, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts, as well as reptiles and wild birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I responded, absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has entered my mouth. Pause for the cause here. Within Judaism, there are very strict dietary laws within the ceremonial and religious law of that God gave to them uh, through Moses. So Old Testament, he's a literal Old Testament follower on all of these things up to this point. And he's having a visionary experience that's telling him to throw out that interpretation of the Old Testament. We always read the Old Testament through the New Testament. We do not get to jump over Jesus. If we do, we will do weird, abusive, weird things with the Old Testament that have nothing to do with what God was leading in and causing it to point towards Jesus is the fullness of the law. He is the fullness of Torah. 
So verse 7, I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, eat and kill. And I responded, absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. Now, I could just stand there and preach for five months on that one verse. Your righteousness is not by your good works. Paul said this in other passages. He said, I'm having a righteousness not my own, but that which has been given of God, that I might know him as he knows me. I press on. Do not consider unclean what God has made pure by God's action, not anything we have done. This happened three times, he says, and then everything was pulled back into heaven. And at that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. And the Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles, sinners, unpure, worthy of death, because they weren't following the law, weren't going to make it into the heavens at the day of the Lord. And these six brothers went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported us how he'd seen the angel standing in the house and saying, and goes on and says, this man... This Gentile, this sinner, received a vision from the Lord saying, I'm going to send somebody to you to show you what is the way of righteousness. And of course, we learn that that is indeed Jesus. Verse 15, sorry, 18, once the apostles and the other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, they calmed down. <laughs> it was a Baptist, it was a Jewish Baptist synagogue, clearly. The apostles and the other believers heard this and they calmed down. <laughs> Because the Holy Spirit has been moving and doing stuff. And they praised God and concluded, So when God enabled, God has enabled the Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so they might have new life. And it goes on and talks about the Antioch church. Another passage in Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to read a few verses out of Acts chapter 15 if you're following along. By the way, every once in a while when a new translation comes out, if you want to learn something weird about me, uh, I will go through it and I will literally use it as my devotional Bible. And I am a very tactile, engaged reader, so I will underline, I will highlight. This one's probably the most extreme examples, but this one came out, I don't know, like eight, ten years ago, CEB Bible. But look at Acts 15. Now, this was a debate. What do we do with these Gentiles, these sinners? They are eating stuff that they are not supposed to eat. I have eaten the jellyfish. I'm going to burn in eternal hell for eating the jellyfish. Like, this is a concern. This is a real thing. I mean, we laugh about it, but this was an exclusion, exclusion thing. They had to wrestle with this. In Acts 15, they're still wrestling with how do we include Gentiles. Some people, starting in verse 1, Acts 15, some people came down from Judea teaching the family of believers. Unless... Hear this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom we received from Moses, according to Torah, according to Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, you cannot be saved. You are out of the kingdom of God unless you are circumcised. In fact, in Galatians, this is happening again. Being centered on the bound versus focusing on the bound versus focusing on the center. And they said, you cannot be saved. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard a version of that in church over my life, but it is way too many times. Now, it's usually not over circumcision. Praise the Lord. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> Regardless of where you're at on that issue, I don't want to know. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas took sides against those Judeans and argued strongly against their position. 
The church at Antioch appointed Paul, Barnabas, and several others from Antioch to go up to Jerusalem and set this question before the apostles and the elders. So they're discerning in community, by the way. They're not like pontificating, I have Torah on my side, here's my proof text verse. No, they're now discerning together, entering into a Holy Spirit discernment. One of the earliest councils of the church we have recorded in Acts. And they set this question before the apostles and the elders and the church sent delegation on their way. And they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, telling stories about the conversion of the Gentiles to everyone. Their reports thrilled the brothers and sisters. And we've already learned in Acts that as the church is expanding, even in some cases, Peter is preaching to these Gentiles who were from the Jewish context completely doing all kinds of stuff. They're eating the jellyfish worthy of death, uh, you know, and they're doing all these things. And he's preaching, and in one case, he preaches, and the Holy Spirit comes on him before the sermon is over, and they begin speaking in tongues, the text implies. That God just, boom, pours out his grace. Shazam, you are in because of what Jesus has done. Not based on their righteousness, not even based on the greatness of Peter's preaching. We know he was long-winded. Somebody fell asleep, fell out a window. There's a story in Acts about that. (laughs) And uh, you guys are laughing way too loud at that. (laughs) And I know both of you too. Speaking of pot calling the kettle black or people living in glass houses throwing stones. Come on now. Okay, all right. Uh, peace, brothers. Peace. And so we see this expansion and he preaches and the spirit is including people in the church even before they have a chance to have the formal sort of call to repent and believe. The spirit just bam, baptizes them. That'll mess with your theology of God. And so the text goes on. When they arrived in Jerusalem... The church, they were hearing all the report of what God was doing. And some of the believers among the Pharisees stood up and claimed, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must be required to keep the law of Moses. They must be required to keep Torah. And the apostles and elders, verse 6, gathered together and considered the matter. Now, pay attention here to verses 7. I'm reading a little more than normal, but it's okay. After much debate, Peter stood up and addressed them. By the way, every time in Acts when Peter stands up, it just shows such a radical change in who he is, anointed by the Spirit. When there's an anointing that changes and brings him into a different level of leadership. After much debate, Peter stood up and addressed them. Fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as one through whom the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. God who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires. Oh. God who knows your deepest thoughts and desires. He knows you better than even you know yourself. Confirm this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. They got it, what we had. We don't control it. And he made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through what they ate or didn't ate, through what they cut off or didn't cut off. No, through faith, through faith. Through allegiance to the lordship of Jesus. Through a centered set belief. Through faith in Jesus. Not focusing on the boundary or the bombs or the ballots or the ethnicity. But by the center of Jesus. Through faith in Jesus Christ and his story. They were enraptured, captured, caught up into. And the spirit poured out on them. And he says, why then are you now challenging God? Woohoo, Peter. There's how to mess up a Baptist church business meeting right there. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing. Now, don't do that. Don't pull the spiritual card, except for in this rare case where it's, it's clearly in the text. Why then are you now challenging God who's poured the Spirit on them? They've seen the witness of the Spirit's gifting on these folks by putting a burden on their shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear. And then he's giving it a little more like oomph and gas right there, isn't he saying? 
You get so focused on the bound. Be honest. You don't always, sometimes you're performing and hiding. You're not there. Your heart's not there. And sometimes you didn't even, sometimes you ate the jellyfish in the dark, you know? You didn't even keep it. I'm sorry. This is, I'm going to get so much harassment from my wife. You said jellyfish too many times, baby. I heard you. It's already in my head. If we don't have that, this conversation, I love you. Okay. <laughs> By placing a burden that no one could, our ancestors, to be truth be told, our ancestors didn't even bear it. In fact, we're told in the prophets, they didn't. Or they gave a heart version, they gave a superficial version of it. Religious performance. Verse 11, on the contrary, we believe that they and we are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The center is Jesus. The center holds. The center is where it's at. The center will keep us together when all other debates are raging, when we lift our eyes and focus them on Jesus, his death, his life, his teachings, his resurrection, his sending of the spirit, his promise to come again. This is the center. And Paul says in Galatians, when they were debating about the boundaries again, oh, you need to do this and oh, you need to do that. No, holiness comes by focusing your eyes on Jesus. We are transformed from glory to glory as we center in on Jesus. He must be the center pilgrim church. If we're going to have a healthy church long after me and every other pastor is gone, oh, this is going to see people all the way into eternity. You must stay focused on the center because the center holds and the center is Jesus. Verse 12, the entire assembly fell quiet as they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles through their activity. And then Barnabas and Paul fell silent. And James, elder statement, brother of Jesus, leader in the church of Jerusalem, responded, fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported, Simon Peter reported, how in his, oh, I love this. I mean, I didn't even get to my notes. This is so good. It's as if the Bible is living and active and the Holy Spirit is breathing through it. And Simon reported how in his kindness, say it with me, brothers and sisters, kindness. kindness. Boy, I could preach three months on kindness alone. I need to learn the lesson again and again, and I know all of you do too. God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up from them a people of God. And the prophet's words agree with me on this as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. By the way, he's reading the Old Testament again through Jesus. When we talk about you cannot jump over Jesus, the New Testament authors do this again and again. They show us a way of reading Old Testament that sometimes the people on the far right and the far left forget They read the Bible, they're reading it in an overly literalistic way. Here we're telling us where there's a literary trajectory in it. And he's saying, he's reading this now through Christ. No Jew would have read it that way. Now he is. After this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild what has been torn down. I will restore it so that the rest of humanity, the rest of humanity will seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who belong to me, the Lord says this, the one who does these things. And he gives them saying, okay, now here's a couple things to avoid. Idols, immorality with our bodies, eating meat from strangled animals, consuming blood. And even then, they began to wrestle with that throughout Acts as well and into Corinthians regarding idol meat. The center is Jesus. I got to read a little more here, and then we gotta, I got to give you some applications, otherwise you're not going to appreciate the potluck. Okay. 
Somebody's on their app ordering jellyfish for the potluck. I can feel it already. Okay. <laughs> Just make sure they don't come before I'm done preaching. All right. In Romans 10, Paul talks about this centered set again. He says, brothers and sisters, starting in verse 1, my heart's desire is for Israel's salvation. My prayer to God for them, and he's part of Israel, and I can vouch to them they were enthusiastic about God. However, it isn't informed by knowledge. You can be enthusiastic, but forget the center. You can be enthusiastic about the wrong stuff. He says they don't submit to God's righteousness because they don't understand his righteousness. And they try to establish their own righteousness. And he says this, the center holds, the center holds. He is the ground whew, of the church. He is what we are built on. Christ, verse 4, is the goal of the law. No one would read the Old Testament Hebrew Bible that way. You don't jump over Jesus. Christ is the goal of the law, which leads to righteousness for all who have faith in God. And then he goes on and he talks about this. Moses writes about the righteousness that comes from the law, on and on and on, who will go up to heaven, who will go down. And he says this, because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, if you give allegiance to Jesus, if you have heard the story of Christ, if you've heard the apostolic kerygma of his life, his teachings, and it begins to ring true, you begin to hear the music of the other kingdom. You begin to, the Holy Spirit responding to the grace that has enabled you to see, and you begin to say with your mouth, you begin to confess, I give my allegiance to this other way of being human. Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not by performing works of the law, not by being focused on the boundary, but by being focused on the center. The path to holiness, the path to salvation is always through the cross 100% of the time. You have struggles, you have things you're wrestling with in your life, there's things that disappoint you. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus, the anchor holds. You have things that you want to see different, you're upset, you're frustrated. I've got things in my family, I've got things in my life. And all of those things are passing away, but the anchor holds. And if I want to see any growth now and in the life of the world to come, I need to set my eyes on Jesus as the author of Hebrews says, for he is the author and perfecter of my faith. When I start to look at the boundaries, when I start to look at the mess, I start to be overwhelmed and the darkness comes over me. But when I lift up my eyes to Jesus, the anchor holds. There is hope. There is salvation. There is empowerment of the Holy Spirit here. Yeah, let's do a little, give him praise and glory. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Not for me, but the word of the Lord. Whew. People say, well, pastor, what about, what about, what about? Here's the thing. We can work on lists. We can do what the Amish do. You know, I have some Mennonite background. The Amish, each of their church communities creates an ordinance, a, a rule that they use, all the rest of the rules. And sometimes they have such religiosity, but they have missed they use the words. They still use Jesus' language. But they miss the grace that transforms. So what is the one thing that Jesus commands us? What is the thing that sums up all of this? What is it that keeps us recentered and on Jesus? Well, certainly having a beautiful vision of Christ, or as the Catholics would say, a beatific vision, the experience of the Spirit. We talked about that two weeks ago. But also in practice... In our community, John 13, 34, we have the platinum commandment of Jesus. You know, we had some of the, you know, love your neighbor, and you'll love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus restates that as well. But then he takes it up in the New Testament, a whole new level. 
In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. The law of love, Paul talks about. John relates this of Jesus again. He says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Everyone will know this, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christianity has been prone to disunity. We debate about Gentile inclusion in Acts 11 and 15. The separation of Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't get along. They disagreed on what to do with John Mark, who had deserted ministry, and Paul was too hurt to bring him back in. There's the great schism that happened between the East and the West Church in 1054. We don't need to talk about that. We don't have time to talk about that today. There's the Protestant Reformation. And there's many examples of denominational and church splits again and again and again. I was saying this to one of our last classes together on Sunday morning, being raised in the upper Midwest in the land of the Lutherans and the Reformed Church. We had every variety of Lutherans and Reforms you could imagine. There was the Reformed Church in America, oldest denomination in the United States, But it wasn't quite pure and holy enough. Then you have the Christian Reformed Church that was founded because they were better than those guys. So they drew the boundaries just a little bit different. And then you have the United Reformed Church. And then you have the Netherlands Reformed Church. And now you have a new break-off that just happened last year from the Reformed Church. The whole synod, a whole class, a whole uh, group, uh, regional group broke off. If we can just draw the lines just so... We'll have the perfect church and we can sing Kumbaya and everything will be well. You know, the Pharisees believe the same idea. If we can just get enough people following Torah in the way that we want, we get those 613 laws followed with all of the Mishnah and interpretation, if we can not only get the 613 laws, but if we can be even more conservative on that and put a, put a fence around Torah, have another line, another fence around it, if we can just get everyone in ancient Israel, ancient Palestine to get perfect in following law, Torah observance, we will force God to send the Messiah and redeem Israel and have a political revolution and we'll have a new nation and a new country if we could just do that. How many times have I heard that in American politics? If we can just get, if we just get the lines right, we just get the right people and right people out. If we could just get you to superficially obey, and we don't say it that way, but that's the reality for many anyway. We'll force God's hand, and while they were thinking all of that, God was walking in their midst. He was a friend of sinners, gluttons, and drunkards, because what was in Him was greater than was the world. What's in the world? When you center in on Jesus, we can enter into the brokenness of our city. We can enter into the pain and the hurt of others. But we must make sure that our center is solid. Do you understand that what's in you is more contagious, as it were, than what's out there if you're continually centering in on Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit? This is the path to true change and holiness. Oh. Currently, we have our own moment of division and disunity in the churches. And in every generation, the church wrestles with stuff. Right now, it's the LGBTQ, all the things there. And I'm not going to preach on that on my way out because, dear Lord, got to be there for the pastoral follow-up. And how do we deal and how do we wrestle and what do we see? In some generations, it's been, whether it's creationism, the monkey scopes, monkey trials. In North America, it's been over the charismatic gift. There's been all these different things. That people have said, these are the things. And if you do that, you are, well, you're not saved. But what I find is, as a pastor, it's much more important that I talk about this. And trust that the Spirit of God is at work. And that we don't short-circuit the discernment in community as we wrestle with hard things. This matters. 
And you say, it's easy to laugh about the jellyfish and circumcision. But what is that in our era? What is that in our day? How do we wrestle? In the first century, like the first century, we're in a moment in which our Christian walls are being challenged. And these walls may be coming down because of a conflict with tradition. People are wrestling with issues of race and justice. For others, walls are being deconstructed because they've experienced pain, abuse, and moral failure in the church because the church is focused on other things. And instead of our own personal journey of holiness, we have focused on everything else. Here's the other thing I find out. If I keep setting my eyes on Jesus, as I keep setting my eyes on Jesus, I become more and more aware of my own sinfulness and my own blessedness. To think of Tim Keller, that New York pastor of blessed memory, who I do not agree with on a lot of theological issues, but he said some wonderful things about this idea that we begin to realize through Christianity, through Jesus, how messed up stuff really is, and that it's more messed up than we could possibly imagine, but we are more loved than we could possibly imagine as well. As we center ourselves on Jesus, we begin to have the ability to make space for people to come on their own journey of becoming like Christ, their own journey of holiness. And here's the thing, we need to create space for people to wrestle. We need to create space for people to understand that it's okay that you're not where I am on this or that issue. We need to create a space where it's safe because that's where the potential of revival and life change happens. But if we close the door before we ever get to the space for conversation and discipleship, we are just like those religious folks that Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You do this, that, and the other thing, but you're making twice the sons of hell who you are. I don't want to stand on judgment day and Jesus say to me, Pastor Shell, you made people twice the sons of hell than you were. That is not a word I want to hear from Jesus. But what I want to hear from him is said, you continually lifted up my story that I entered into creation, that I taught ways to flourish and to break cycles of violence and death and sin. And that you talked about the power of God being unleashed by my spirit who is now available and poured out on all people. And as you did that, brother so-and-so was wrestling with whatever issue, but they found space to converse and to wrestle and they moved the arrow of their life towards me even though they were way out there and you were really uncomfortable with a whole bunch of things that they were saying. It's probably a rabid Calvinist in my case, that brother, but you know. You made space for their arrow to turn to me. On that day, I don't want it to be said, well, I did this in your name. I drew this wall in that name. I built this boundary in that name. I did this for that church in your name. I did all these things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. I never had your eyes were not continually fixed on me. You kept looking at the border. You kept looking at the bound. I never knew you, Shell. Depart from me, you wicked servant. No, I want him to say, I knew you. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm, I'm getting a little preachy today. <laughs> we need to rediscover the gospel, the glory of who he is. I'm just going to keep flipping through my notes to give you all hope. Okay, all right. <laughs> so what? Let me get to the so what. And we're going to talk about being on mission with Jesus next Sunday. One of the passages for this Sunday, by the way, comes from Matthew 28 and Trinity Sunday. And Jesus spoke to his disciples. And told them to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Make learners. Make space for people to be learners about me of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you always until the end of the age. Tell my story. Center them on me. Help them to be learners about me. That's how they're going to experience holiness. That's how all those other things are going to be worked out. And in the end, God is going to sort it all out. We don't want to pull out the wheat and the tares together. Let God be the judge. And when we're in real relationship with someone, they're doing something destructive, then we have the right to speak into their life. But until we have real relationship, we've got to create the context for real relationship. We are not called to sit, not do that. Yes, we're called to judge works. But when we're in relationship, and how do we get in relationship? Well, we create a space where the center is clear and there's lots of messiness in the church. That's where the space for holiness and relationship can happen. That's where true discipleship happens. Not false discipleship of rule obedience and Torah keeping. In fact, Paul says this, I was, I was a Jew of Jews. I was a religious of the religious, trainer than Rabbi Gamaliel. He was on his way up in the religious system. And he said, you know what? All of my rule keeping, all of that, I now consider but dung. If it wasn't Sunday morning, we'd use more colorful language. You get the idea. Lots of fertilizer. But dung. Oh, that hurts the religious part of me. But I don't want a righteousness of my own from law performance, from boundary keeping. I want the righteousness that indeed I have that that comes from Christ that is not my own. That will take me all the way home to the life of the world to come. So what? Okay, application, three things. We need to have a Holy Spirit-driven curiosity. What if? I like how Johnny puts it, Johnny Morrison. He says, I love to ask my church, what if, at the end of the sermon? The question is about having a new imagination. What if? What if we are so centered on Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit that we can discern how to be church when we don't agree on everything? What could unity in Christ look like for us, our families, our friends, our small groups, and our communities? What if we became more concerned about the spirit curiosity of creating a space for the conversations that help people turn their arrows towards Jesus? And yes, I am religious and I want people to do X, Y, and Z. I have a whole list for every, I have a plan for all of your lives. But you know what? That's not God's plan. But in context and relationship is how we discern these things. And ultimately, the most important thing is how can we keep Jesus at the center Spirit-driven curiosity. How is the Spirit of God working? The second takeaway this morning is this, unity and diversity. The takeaway from Acts chapter 15 is not conformity. Jewish and Gentile believers were to be united in Christ, but these groups' practices would look different. Churches should be multicultural and messy. We see this again and again, especially the book of Galatians. And it's hard for some of us, and it can feel threatening to our sense of self and our communities, but our churches are not meant to be uniform and homogenous They're intended to be a family united in Christ that would be united in no other circumstance. Let me say that again. A family united in Christ that we would not be together except for Jesus. Look around even this small little micro church that we are at Pilgrim. If it wasn't for Jesus in this community, you wouldn't be in this room probably. You would never know these people. Oh, but the anchor holds. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people, all men, all women, everyone to myself. He said, if we fix our eyes on him, he will bring us through. He will perfect and grow our faith. 
Paul says, I don't want to know anything now except for Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That I might suffer with him, that I might attain to the resurrection as well. Unity and diversity. And finally, let me say this. Spirit-driven curiosity. What if? Unity and diversity we value. And third and finally, landing the plane for real. We're going to have to do communion with uh, one song. (laughs) Show up and make space. Listen and discern. To practice this center-set Christianity, we must listen and discern together. The Jewish training for these folks would have been to avoid those people at all costs. Do not eat with them. Do not sit with them at the table. In fact, when we were wrestling through the psalm the other day as well, all of those things of the law, don't do this, don't stand, don't sit, don't, 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 don't. Great, except for we must now reinterpret it through the New Testament where Jesus is the one, the blessed man. We put our eyes on him, we center in on him. How do you become righteous in God's eyes? You can't, but he can and he is and he wants his righteousness to dwell in you. And his righteousness then will empower you to live differently. That's how we move to holiness. But if you try to do it in your own strength, if you try to shame and blame and push and judge and dump on people with no relationship, all you're doing is driving them further and further and further away from the cross. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But as you get a vision of Jesus and what he has done and who he is, I got to land it. I know I'm getting there. I'm serious. Maybe we'll skip communion. All right, we'll pray. We'll do the benediction. As you focus in on him, that is the power for holiness. And you say, pastor... Why do I keep wanting to do all this? Other? What I, I think there's something in us that looks for a false clarity. So what are we called to do again? We're called to be in relationship. Show up and make space, number three. Learn and discern. In both Acts 11 and Acts 15, the leadership helps the church listen and pay attention to what God is doing. We are united in Christ. We can sit with one another in a generous presence and space to discern through the power of the Spirit that shapes how is our church to be following Christ faithfully in this time. And this takes practice because we haven't been trained to. We've been trained to be the church of us versus them. We've been trained to fly banners. We've been trained to follow ideologies. We've not been trained well to sit and listen. And I've been trying a bit here and there throughout the six years. And I myself am on that journey. But can we make more space in our home churches, in our larger gatherings, in our ones and twos and threes? Because that's where we will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, stand with me this morning. We better pray. Josh, just forget it. We're all going to pray a benediction, okay? (laughs) I love you, brother. Uh, It was important to give up time for new members. So... (laughs) Did I just blame the new members? I think I did. I'm leaving, guys. I'm leaving. (laughs) My apologies. My apologies. He's the anchor. He's the center. And the center holds. We put anything else in that center. There can be things in the secondary and the third layer that we are important to us. And we teach and we catechize in. we, We create learners around. But nothing else goes in the center. Not the law, not a list of behaviors, not any other list. Jesus goes in the center. That's it. Full stop. Because that's the story that will draw and woo and empower by the Holy Spirit people to work on all those other things. But if we forget this, all we are is doing religious performing and hiding. And he's not interested. In fact, by the time you get to the prophets, they're undoing some of the stuff in Torah, which is really fascinating. (laughs) 
I don't have time to unpack that. But even in Old Testament, you have a shift away from this. He says, I despise your feasts. I despise your festivals. <laughs> yeah, he goes, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. The center holds. Well, let me pray for you today. Lord, as we wrap up this five-part series with some side trips, <laughs> important side trips, my prayer for these people that you have blessed me with and I hope I've been a blessing to them is to challenge and remind your people that there is only one true overarching story that we are called to define all everything by and it is yours. And that all other things are pointing to you as the Romans, book of Romans tells us, all of in that Old Testament righteousness, even it's about you. And that you fulfill, you complete, you bring to completion. And we are called to be found in you. Or as John uses the word again, meno, 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 we are to remain in you, remain in you. You are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And that our goal is to let others experience and the knowledge of who you are. And as we talk about preaching and mission, being on mission with you in the last next two messages, give us your wisdom, your heart. God, may we repent where we need to repent. Where we've thought that we could have a righteousness of our own, performing our own, a righteousness we could control, a God we can control, a God who, who we can categorize and we can easily, and, and yet you're saying, no, 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 I want relationship with you. I didn't set up this whole creation project to play some little rules-keeping game. No, I set this up because I want creatures that have real living relationship and all the risks that that entails. And you have taken on even when we do the things that manifest sin and the powers of darkness in our lives and in our world. And most people in this room, Lord, yeah, they may be struggling with sins of thoughts or the body or whatever, whatever. But many of us, we get trapped into religious sins, and we are so blind to it. Set us free, Lord. Every person here, that we may rest in your grace, the wonderful grace of Jesus. And that will empower us to not only turn our arrows, but make some journey in holiness, this side of eternity, but we know we are not fully sanctified until the world to come. So we can walk in grace with ourselves and with others, knowing that you're calling. And one more thing I want to pray. If there's anyone in this room today, and you're here and you've thought, man, there's something pulling me towards this Jesus. And you need some encouragement, not coercion, just encouragement to take the next step. Maybe you're ready to give your allegiance to him. The Bible uses the language of sozo, salvation, overlaps with the Hebrew concept of shalom, peace, healing, wellness, fullness, deliverance. But ultimately, it's about the relationship with God can be more direct than you could possibly imagine through him. And you can simply say, Jesus, I give my, my allegiance to you, my heart to you. Come and live in me by your spirit. And he will do that.
And then you wrestle your whole life long with it. Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm tired of trying to perform in my own strength. I'm tired of my own righteousness. I'm tired of judging everyone else's righteousness. I need to get off the throne and let you be God. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I confess you as Lord of the universe. I release my sinful control or my belief in it to you. I need you, Lord. I believe in you, Lord. I speak with my mouth. I speak in agreement. I confess. I with agree. I agree with you. Let that story now overwhelm and shape my story in a new way. In the name of God, who's revealed his relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And if you're willing to, say amen. Amen. Amen.